Hello and welcome back to Reactive's Yellow Room. I am Evikiori and this week we are talking about how a bit of your active digging led to discussions and examinations over the Commission's 462 million euro contracts with consultancy firms. What's the Parliament's next step and what are the MEPs working on? We are also talking about the tension rising in Northern Ireland during the past few weeks, the concerning riots, the negotiations between the EU and the UK over the Northern Ireland Protocol. So there are some concerns expressed over the Commission's expenditure on external consultants. To break down the main components of this story, I am joined today by Jorge Valero, Euractiv's Economy and Jobs Editor. So Jorge, thank you very much for being with me in the studio today. And a couple of weeks ago, you had an exclusive on Euractiv.com, and I am referring to the fact that the Commission spent more than 462 million euros in several contracts with consultancy firms. So would you like to clear the water somehow and give us a better understanding on what are we talking about and what is the story behind it? Good morning, um, Evie. Um, basically, the starting point of the story was the uh, structural reform program. My understanding was that only bureaucrats, uh, commission officials and international organizations uh, were contact or were part of this uh, structural reform program, which provides technical advice for um, member states to um, develop and implement reforms. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised to hear that actually external contractors, uh, consultancy firms were hired for this. And then I started to um, dig in a bit in uh, the financial transparency mm -hmm. uh, system of the commission. And I found out I was the first one, I have to admit, I was the first one surprised to see the amount of money spent by the mm -hmm. commission in consultancy firms. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's huge. I focus on the big uh, firms. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, Ersten Young, PressWaterhouseCooper, Deloitte and KPMG, which are the biggest uh, consultancy firms. And I found out what you said, that only between 2016 and 2019, which is the last year with uh, available data, the Commission spent uh, 462 million in only in these four contracts mm -hmm. in these companies. But then you have other companies like McKenzie. Uh, like Accenture, and here uh, the Commission also had uh, multi-million uh, bills with, with these uh, firms. And what is the concerning part about this? Because I do understand that we are talking about big numbers and a huge amount of money, of course, but what are the real issues? I would say there are three um, issues with these uh, contracts. The first one, of course, is what you said, is the volume of mm -hmm. The amount of money, uh, because I mean, here we're, we're talking about uh, only in four firms, almost um, half a billion euros, which is crazy. If we look back, I'm pretty sure that the bill, uh, if we take a whole decade, the bill might go well beyond one billion euros. And if we include more com companies, it will be even bigger. So the volume for sure is one of the issues. And this is uh, something that it was raised uh, also by members of the European Parliament, we'll mm -hmm. discuss this for sure. Second issue, it's um, the fact that uh, these consultancy firms were involved in um, designing uh, structural reforms, mm -hmm. especially in some uh, very sensitive fields, for example, justice, health, um, the reform of police, um, labor market policies, which are, I mean, highly controversial in many countries, which uh, sparks many times a very heated political debate. And these are people that don't necessarily have experience in 
in, in all these reforms. It's not like the International Labour Organization or the OECD providing a, advice. And thirdly, there is an issue of conflict of interest because these companies were providing uh, advice, even more uh, policy recommendations, as it was stipulated in some of the tenders, while at the same time, they are providing expertise to uh, companies in this field. And one of the examples used is McKinsey, which although it was outside the structural uh, reform program, it was hired to provide policy recommendations on artificial intelligence, while at the same time it is providing expertise and support to companies on AI. It's a clear uh, case of uh, risk of conflict of interest. So a little bit of digging up from your side, Jorge, started a whole discussion in the parliament and among the MEPs. So what is the next step from the parliament and the MEPs at this point? It's true that the, the article had a huge impact in the parliament. Also in the commission, it has made a lot of noise. Many people were surprised about the amount of money spent. Uh, there's been, let's say, two main uh, tracks for action. The first one is the Green MEP, uh, Philippe Lambert. Uh, was very shocked by, by this, and he um, mobilized a letter which was co-signed by 73 members of the European Parliament uh, from all the political groups. Letter uh, saying? Uh, and the, the letter basically expressed their concern about the, the amount of money spent and the issues that it raised, the conflict of interest and, and, and uh, their involvement in structural reforms, and basically uh, demanding explanation from the Commission. And they sent a let this letter to, to von der Leyen, President of the Commission, and and the Vice President for Economy, uh, Valdis Dombrovskis. And the other track, it's uh, uh, that the President of the, um, of the Committee for Budgetary Control told us that uh, as part of the charge uh, process, which is the, the process uh, under which uh, the Parliament approves uh, annually the, the accounts, uh, how the budget is spent by the institutions annually, as part of this process, um, the parliament is going to examine and is going to look into uh, the money spent in consultancy firms. Mm -hmm. And does that mean that we are talking about the transparency investigation there? At least from the transparency side, I mean, it's partially okay because at least in the EU we have a transparency system where we can uh, see all the uh, uh, contracts signed by the commission with consultancy firms, but there are other many contracts that we don't know. For example, those who are uh, maybe signed by member states with European money, which is, I mean, the system of uh, co-management, co which we don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's a very big pot as well. Uh, but of course, there is no clear picture. And going back to the commission's uh, reaction on this, because it is very interesting to hear all the sides. What are they saying and what is their position? In the context of, of the structural reform program, they say two things. First, that they defend the value for money spent. They say that the mm -hmm. consultants uh, provide uh, very valuable uh, expertise uh, for these reforms. The Commission supports that they are involved in the process and not in the policy making, as it relies on member states to make decisions on the reform itself. If you look at some of the contracts, and clearly there is a policy input from the consultancy firms, regardless of who is uh, at the end of the process responsible for that. And then the other thing they say is that uh, they provide very specific expertise where otherwise it won't be possible for the commission to um, have this, let's say, uh, high level or very concrete uh, knowledge on some issues, for example. And of course we cannot predict the future, but what is your take on this? What do you think is going to happen next? Another institution that is looking into this is the Court of Auditors. So I would say that there are 
maybe two issues here. It's the amount of money spent. And I think maybe uh, the commission might try to restrain a bit from uh, the bill because I agree that maybe for some contracts it's necessary to have consultancy firms. I'm not saying that that is not the case or I'm not saying that consultancy firms will disappear from the face of earth. But uh, for sure there are, as I found, uh, there are many contracts that uh, are totally uh, superfluous and my feeling is that it was just, I mean, some DGs that have some money left and instead of doing their work themselves, they say, okay, well, let's spend the money hiring this consultancy so we don't have to do the work. Well, thank you, Jorge, for joining me today and for explaining what is actually happening on that topic. If you want to learn more on this, follow Jorge and his articles on Euractiv.com. You are listening to Euractiv's Yellow Room. And if you want to expand your knowledge on other EU policy fields, you can listen to our Digital Brief podcast and AgriFood Brief podcast. You can find them on your favorite podcasting app. And from Brussels and the concerns over the Commission's expenditure on external consultants, we are moving to another concerning issue. This time in Northern Ireland, where the past few weeks the atmosphere has been particularly explosive, with riots and negotiations between the EU, the UK and Northern Ireland. To shed some light on what is happening there, I spoke with Euractiv's Paula Kenny. Paula, we have a new wave of riots in Northern Ireland. Could you shed some light on what is actually happening there? For the last week, um, we have seen some of the worst violence in Northern Ireland um, for many years. Um, this current conflict can uh, date back to um, the Northern Ireland conflict, um, which ended with the Good Friday Agreement in 1998. It was an agreement between the British and the Irish governments and most of the political parties in Northern Ireland on how Northern Ireland should be governed. Due to the conflict and the violence of the previous decades, it was decided that unionists and nationalists would share power. One kind of factor that is uh, very apparent in this in this current conflict is the sectarian factor. So we're seeing a unionist uprising in Northern Ireland with uh, the current riots. And last weekend, April 10th, it was the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, which according to Prime Minister Martin, it changed radically Northern Ireland. So what would it mean, a possible uh, suspension of that agreement? The preservation of the Good Friday Agreement is really in everyone's best interest. Um, of course, the practicality of the agreement has now been jeopardised in terms of the UK leaving the EU and leaving the single market. So that commonality has been lost um, and a clear division has been created because of this again. But now more than ever, um, disagreements um, and the compromises that were reached um, as a part of it should really be um, respected. Again, there are a lot of different uh, issues at play here, but um, one catalyst that has been focused on a lot in the Irish media, especially, um, is the Northern Irish Protocol. The Northern Ireland Protocol basically means that the country remains a part of the EU single market, although the rest of the UK has left. Before Brexit, the border between the Republic of Ireland in the EU and Northern Ireland in the UK was open and the trade of goods was free. 
After Brexit, the EU requires certain goods to be inspected at the borders before entering its market. Back in 2019, um, when the protocol was being discussed, um, the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson uh, promised that the protocol um, would not affect the trade between Northern Ireland and Great Britain. So um, he promised that there wouldn't be any additional checks or custom tariffs. So this has obviously not been you know, the, the case so far. There has been major delays on goods and supplies uh, entering Northern Ireland from the UK. So this has left um, many unionists in Northern Ireland feeling really alienated from the rest of the UK. And this is really a great source of the right so far. Mm -hmm. And how is the Northern Ireland protocol affecting the relations among the parties involved? Uh, Meaning the EU, the Republic of uh, Ireland, Northern Ireland and of course the UK. The Irish government had uh, called on the UK government to hold a crisis summit this week. Um, So we have a suspension of the violence uh, currently due to Princess Philip's death last week. Um, But um, the call for the crisis talks has been met with little enthusiasm from the British government. The EU and the UK um, still have to resolve the legal dispute over the Northern Ireland Protocol. and it is unlikely that like uh, intergovernmental talks will happen before that. But what we are seeing really at the moment um, is a very clear dismissal of Northern Ireland from the British government. Um, we can see Boris Johnson's only real acknowledgement um, of the current situation has been on Twitter. He hasn't acknowledged that this tension has been mainly been caused by the Brexit deal that he has brought through. Um, and the false promises that he did make in the beginning. So all of this is just fuel the fire and further alienation Northern Ireland from the UK. Thank you, Paula, for being with me. Our time is up. I am Evie Chiori and this was Euractiv's Yellow Room. We will be back on your feed next week. Until then, visit Euractiv.com for the latest news and don't forget to listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thank you very much for listening. See you soon.